Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you for Beverly and her voice. Thank you for that great hymn concerning how great you are. We want to taste that greatness afresh right now, to have our hearts stirred with faith and drawn out to you. So please, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus. We present them to you. Take them. And set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we've had this exciting series We who've been reading and studying along with the Acts of the Apostles, that piece of literature written by Luke, Dr. Luke, following his gospel, the extension of the ever-growing, spreading influence of the gospel beyond the resurrection and Pentecost. And as we've been studying that together, we've taken the title, The Young Church in Action. After 20 years, we're still really a young church in comparison to the spread of history and other churches in our city and community. Just yesterday morning, I was at a church in Little Washington along with other people who'd gathered from around Pittsburgh to pray. And prayer is the theme of our message this morning. But that church was an old, grand, traditional church spectacular church we actually met outside on the lawn folks from around Pittsburgh gathering to pray about our city but as I went into the church with its stained glass windows what a transition and difference from what we use here at Christ Church week by week and as you go back into antiquity if you came back to England with me I was actually ordained in a church that goes back to Norman times. As a little boy, went to a thatched cottage church school in a neighboring village to where I was growing up. So we are a very young church. But we've taken this series to, by God's grace, inspire us as we head into the future and our next 20 years. You could call it 2020 vision next week, looking back 20, looking forward 20, seeing what God has done and anticipating what he's about to do. And prayer was the birthplace of this congregation. At a time of crisis, folks meeting at the home of Terry Carson and Judy Carson Sometimes 50, upwards of 70 people gathering to pray. And out of it was birthed Christ Church at Grove Farm, originally called the New Church of Sewickley. And we moved from a conference room to a high school in Moon Township and two years beyond the beginning into Wilson Hall, which was then our sanctuary. A young church in action. Now, if you turn to page 6 in your service sheet, it will bring you to this reading from Acts of the Apostles, 
chapter 12, concerning the ongoing pushback as the church expanded numerically and with its influence. And it begins with Herod persecuting the church. This King Herod here, mentioned in verse 1, is the grandson of the King Herod who was around at the time of the birth of Jesus. So it's not the same king. Same name, same family. The grandson of uh, Herod the Great going back to that time of Jesus being born. And he arrested some. Take a look at this, will you, with me. Page 6 in your service sheet or Acts chapter 12 in your Bibles. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That is, beheaded. Just like that. Stephen's already been executed by stoning The church has been dispersed by persecution and taking the gospel with them. We've been following that along. And it becomes more intense when you get now, if you will, the secular authority, Herod, who was no gem himself, spiritually or religiously, taking on and persecuting the church. It mentions the Jews throughout this passage here. But that's speaking of all the early believers who were Jews being persecuted by their own who were Jews. It all happened within their own Jewish culture, amongst their own. And Herod, who was the secular authority, began to take on the church. And he saw that it pleased the rest of the Jewish community. And so he extended this. Look at how it goes on to speak. When he had James, verse 2, the brother of John put to death with the sword, he saw that this pleased the Jews, and he proceeded to seize Peter also. Well, this is a real slug in the gut. James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, one who'd witnessed the transfiguration, one of the pillars of the church, taken and summarily beheaded, gone, except home to be with Jesus. And then he grabs Peter, and he puts him in prison, and he doesn't immediately kill him because it's the Passover season. Look at what it says here. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, that is in rotation. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was in prison. But what are the next words? But the church was earnestly praying to God for him, for Peter. The church was earnestly praying. 
Now, the church was the body of believers. They didn't have a building like this. When you hear the word church, you think of a place, normally speaking, and a congregation. This was a whole family of believers scattered all around Jerusalem, over 5,000 of them. When they heard that James had been beheaded, can you imagine the horror with which they greeted that? I mean, you didn't know a single soul of those 18 that ISIS led out and beheaded. But that was a slap in the face of every Christian believer worldwide. And you felt it and were horrified, as was the general public who saw it. But when it's one of your own, one of the original leaders beheaded, and then they grabbed Peter. And actually, as this story unfolds, God miraculously delivers Peter the night before he was to be brought to trial and executed. It wasn't like it was really going to be a trial, be a public humiliation and a public execution. But the church was praying. That is, individually, wherever the church was, and in various gatherings, One such gathering was right here. Look on down in the text, if you will, to where it speaks, verse 16, of them gathered together in prayer. Actually, verse 16 has Peter knocking at the door, and they opened the door, and they were astonished to see him there. But they had been praying. Look at verse 12. When this had dawned on him, Peter being delivered, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, so he's generally known as John Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this was one of those gatherings. When Peter knocked at the outer entrance, a servant girl named Rhoda, when it mentions a servant girl you realize that this was a very big, influential household if they've got a servant girl. That's not your ordinary family. But it was a family of believers. John Mark's family was an influential family. And the little girl Rhoda goes to the door and she recognizes Peter's voice and this is somewhat hilarious. She's so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door And exclaimed that Peter's there. She recognized his voice. Their response, even though they're praying. How often we pray and don't expect the answer. The positive answer. They they said, you're mad. Or it's his angel. He's already been beheaded. He's dead. And somehow his angel has come and spoken to us. As it turned out, when they let him in, it really is Peter. And he tells them the story of how he was released, a supernatural release. So the first people to hear it are the people who've been gathered in prayer in the house of John Mark. A supernatural response to their prayer 
with the angel coming, releasing Peter, walking him out of the prison, the doors opening automatically, locks unlocking, chains falling off, Peter walking back, or back beyond this event where he's released, somewhat in a daze, realizing that it was real and not just a vision. He's free, he's walking the streets, it's the middle of the night, he goes to this home, knocks on the door, they don't open it, he stays there, keeps on knocking, finally they come and let him in and he tells them the story of how he was released. And it closes this reading by saying, he was astonished, excuse me, they were astonished. Peter himself was really astonished, but so were they amazed at what had happened. This passage actually goes on to speak of Herod ordering the killing of the prison guards who somehow had let Peter go and then moving on up the coast to Caesarea. I meant to mention that we were there recently, which was the governmental center where the Roman governor ran things he moves on up to Caesarea. They have a public meeting for him. This is how the chapter unfolds. It wasn't in our reading this morning, but I need to tell you this. And they welcome him. There's a crowd that gathers, and they flatter him and say all sorts of things about him, equating him to be godlike. And he didn't stop and give God any glory, and God struck him dead right there and then. So this chapter begins with him persecuting the church and him dying his, in his arrogance, killed by the Lord. One commentator, A.B. Simpson, most of you don't know that name, but he is the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination as it's become. It was a missionary movement that became a denomination. A.B. Simpson, a Presbyterian minister, was the founder of that movement. So that great church, ACAC, where Pastor Ed was birthed in his ministry here in Pittsburgh, Allegheny Center Alliance Church, is part of that denomination. Well, A.B. Simpson said this concerning the text that we've just glanced through. He says, prayer is the link that connects us with God. It is the bridge that spans every gulf and bears us over every abyss of danger or need. How significant is this picture of the New Testament church? Peter in prison. The Jewish opponents triumphant. Herod supreme. The arena of martyrdom awaiting the dawning of the morning for Peter. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And what is the sequel? The prison open. The apostle free. The Jews baffled. And the wicked king divinely smitten. And the word of God rolling on in greater victory. Nearly the last verse of this chapter says this. Verse 24, the word of God continued to increase and spread. Do we know the power of our supernatural weapon?
Do we dare to use it, asks A.B. Simpson, with the authority of a faith that commands as well as asks? God grant us holy audacity and divine confidence. He is not wanting great men and women, but he is wanting people who will dare to prove the greatness of their God. How great is our God? To put that to work, to be proven in our own experience. This church not only began in prayer, but prayer has always been an important part of everything we do. Do you realize that at 8.30 every Sunday morning, a group gathers in our chapel, that's back left hand as you're standing in church or sitting here right now, and prays about our worship and about the needs for this Sunday morning. Every week without fail. We have a prayer chain so that when there's any crisis, somebody is sick, that chain immediately is notified and they start praying. I want to thank you all for praying for me. We felt those prayers. Do you realize that for nearly a month, my life was in danger with a heart that had a problem and I needed to get back to the USA and get to my doctor and get that fixed. And you prayed me through that month. And what I have is a heart that's beating on all cylinders put right. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you. I mean that with sincerity when you came up and say, thank goodness and how you prayed for us. Praying for Kathy. It's a huge problem for her to be hanging around the husband who might drop dead any moment. Some of you were praying about the people I would run into along the way. You told me so. So the man who was rooming with me at Allegheny General Hospital, I end up praying with. His wife is in desperate need. He used to go to church. He ends up with a life-focused New Testament to go home and read with his wife. But when we prayed, he thanked the Lord. He actually closed the prayer by saying, thank you, Jesus. I expect to see him worship. He may be here this morning. I don't know, but I expect to see him here. So my misfortune may end up being his good fortune. As the Lord was there in my shoes speaking to him. All circumstances become opportunities for us to pray. And we take advantage. Whenever anybody, whenever our staff meets, we pray. We have a worship service monthly in the chapel and pray. We gather as a staff to do organization and planning and we pray. And this fall we are running for the city, maybe for Western Pennsylvania as a whole, a prayer summit it's being called. We're not running it, we're hosting it. And that famous man of prayer, Henry Blackaby, is going to be here. 
and leading pastors and lay people from across the region in prayer. We're looking further forward to how to strengthen our prayer ministry here at this church. Pastor Barry will mention again this morning, right here we have prayer rails, kneeling kneelers, where you can come and be prayed for. We have a prayer team that's available here every Sunday morning to pray for you, one-on-one, or as a couple. It's a supernatural participation, that bridge between time and eternity, between us and our need for help, and God Almighty with his power available to us to help. One of the first verses I was taught to memorize and learn and depend on was Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's easy to remember because four fours are 16. Hebrews 4, 16. And it says to come boldly before his throne of grace to find help, to find mercy and help in our time of need. To come boldly. Not to come somehow cowering and groveling. Why boldly? Because prayer is an extension of our personal and intimate relationship with God as our Father in heaven. The heart and soul of prayer is a relationship. We have been born again spiritually, made new in Jesus when we come to faith in Christ, and God becomes our Father. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. We say, our Father. It begins with a relationship. Romans, Paul Ding teaching through that epistle, says... His spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are his. In relationship to him. So it's in that ongoing relationship that we are able to pray, to come to him. Come boldly to him. Come intimately and personally to him. There's this great verse in Thessalonians. Actually, a couple of short, like staccato statements that urge us with their simplicity. You know the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Two words. Here are some other short verses. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Always be joyful. That's it. That's verse 16. Verse 17. Pray continually. That's it. Pray continually. How do you do that? It's not by being in church all the time. It's not by going through formal prayers or prayer meetings or being in gatherings all the time. But having a personal, intimate relationship by which we can talk with him all the time. So whether we're in a supermarket or watching the pirates win, I, I, I've got some friends who've come, who've come all the way over from Geneva, Illinois. I do believe this pastor 
is a Cardinals fan. And he came to see the game last night. He texted me this morning saying he's not going to arrive until the 11.15 service because it went 14 innings. That's all he said. I texted him back and said, who won? He said, the Pirates. McCutcheon hitting a walk-off home run in the 14th inning. How cool is that? (laughs) Now you get excited about praying like that. So we'll have some fun at his expense when he turns up, no doubt. But to be able to talk to the Lord wherever, whenever, is our privilege. And what's a shame is, just like a lot of other relationships in our lives, sometimes even husbands and wives or kids with their parents, we take it all for granted. In fact, we've got a great marriage conference coming up about a weekend to be remembered, or to be... Rem- a weekend to remember. And we're encour- we'll be encouraging you to go there. I'm planning on taking my wife, but it's about encouraging us in our marriages. Marriage doesn't have to be bad to get better. Remember that. And all of us want better marriages. I don't care what age you are. Be there. But this series, I trust, and especially this morning, And even next week as we talk about what God has done, how great is our God, that you'll be encouraged in your relationship with the Lord to take advantage of it, to share your life, whether in crisis mode or just your ongoing day in and day out mode, to share your life with him. Well, let's bow our heads and pray together just a moment. And then we'll sing together that great hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. O Lord, forgive us that we do take advantage of you in so many ways. And yet in so many ways we don't. Because we take you for granted. And we miss our opportunity. And it's like we go on and on and on without really connecting or sharing our hearts and lives with you. So right now, right here, Lord, stir us with love and affection, with a sense of closeness, of a personal reality that you are our Daddy God and we are your children and that we can bring all to you and you welcome us and love to share our lives with us and to hear our prayers and to answer them. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.